right. Well, thank you, Vicki and Axel, for lighting. It was actually our candle of hope for this week, and uh, I'm looking forward to each of the five weeks of Advent as we anticipate um, not just the coming of Christmas morning, but we anticipate the coming of Christ. Uh, so a couple of quick things. One, um, next week, I hope you'll be here. Uh, next week, in addition to our second week of Advent, we're also going to have a bit of a family conversation uh, during our service, and some of that is not going to be um, recorded or on live-streamed. So if you'd like to be here for that conversation, we want to invite you to be here um, in person, and we've got some things to talk with you about and some opportunities to share with you, but we hope that you will um, join us next week. Also, we're wrapping up our friending series at, while simultaneously starting um, our series um, about the light of the world. And I want to do this uh, because there's a part of friending. Um, this is part of the plan of changing the world, is the way we have friendships with people. Uh, Christ is the light of the world, but he's also invited us to be light in the world, to demonstrate the beauty of knowing Christ and what it means to follow him, which he says, will be most evident by the way that we love others. It's a very different way of viewing the world. It's a very different way of viewing people. And so what I want to share with you today um, is how to make a friend. But also, I want to spend just a few minutes talking about toxic relationships. But before we get into that, I want to just remind us where we've been. Uh, the very first week of friending, we talked about the that we were made for community. Uh, we are made to be in community with each other. Uh, it's not just something we can do. It's not just something that adds to our lives. Uh, it is literally what we've been designed, um, how we've been designed to live life. Uh, so we were made for community. Uh, the second week, we talked about love and marriage as a uh, microcosm of the relationship between Christ and the church, but ultimately also symbolic of our relationship with people. And we looked at a passage on submission um, because that's typically where people go to when we talk about marriage, Paul's instructions of submission. But what we found when we understand the uh, culture in which he was writing and also what he's actually saying in the whole letter um, and all of his writings, not just in a couple of verses, is that relationships in the kingdom are very different than the relationships in the world. Relationships in the kingdom, leadership and headship is demonstrated by placing others above you. And so when we think about our relationships with other people, we have to look at it through the lens um, of loving others as ourselves. Uh, this is the second commandment that Jesus said, all of the law um, and the prophets, they all point to this thing, loving God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Um, so as we come through any kind of conversation around being friends, it is very much wrapped up in the ability to love others, and in order to do that, put others before ourselves. We see that with Christ in his relationship with the church when he gave his life for us. We also see that in marriage when both um, husbands and wives are supposed to submit to one another if we read the whole passage. And even outside of marriage, in our relationships with each other, we are to submit one to another 
And Paul is saying in the whole context of that passage, you will demonstrate your love for each other in part by submitting one to another, which is to place someone above you or to come under someone and support them. So it's a very different way of seeing relationships. Last week, Deidre joined me and we had a conversation about uh, some workshops that Deidre um, has been trained in and she's been doing, but we have found them very helpful for our our own lives, especially as adoptive uh, parents, um, for those who have experienced trauma in their life. And what we've discovered is that everyone, in some way or the other, has experienced some level of trauma in their life. And whenever we look at people, we have the opportunity to look at people through the lens of Jesus. Uh, And what we find in that lens is that God not only saw our outward behavior, God saw the things that broke us inside. And so as we look at other people, it's very easy for us to get our feelings hurt or to get upset or to say they shouldn't have done something. But one of the things we can do and one of the things that trust-based relational intervention does is it looks at the thing that broke and why people are the way they are. One of the most foundational um, changes in my understanding of just the base nature of humanity from my time growing up Um, to just the more that I dove into Scripture and fell in love with Scripture and and just followed Scripture where it took me. Um, I grew up, and many of you did as well, that the very base nature of all humanity um, is the sin nature. And while absolutely sin is a part of every single thing that we struggle with in this world, we were not created initially with that sin nature. We were created, and God said, we were good. Not just good, but we were very good. But sin and trauma and life circumstances get layered in our lives and it breaks us. It makes it at times hard for us to have healthy relationships because if we did not grow up learning about healthy relationships, how to have um, healthy relationships, as we get older, we will not be able to do that either. And we talked about some different ways that happens Uh, If you want to go back and watch that, you can. Uh, I want to follow the theme of the last couple of weeks, and I want to wrap up talking about how to make a friend. But I don't want to just make this about, oh, it's nice to have friends, because let's be honest, some people in this room would probably be fine to not have many friends. Maybe, I I know a few people that would be fine if they didn't have any friends, like just leave me alone. So the point of this today is not just to talk about how to have more friends. So you can go have more fun. Y'all can go out and, you know, go go paint together. And the point is how we demonstrate the kingdom through our relationships with others. And at some base level, we have to come to the place where we recognize what does it look like to truly be a friend. So here's how I want to start, and I'm a couple of slides ahead. Here's where I want to start. I want to start with how to make a friend. And I want to ask the basic question, what is biblical friendship? So as we start back with Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, this, these are some of the descriptions. I want to read just a few descriptions, and then I want to stop for a few minutes and uh, talk about a, a couple of things. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 
One of my firm convictions about the church moving forward is that we have to be able to get relationships. Maybe, I won't say right, because it's not like we're ever going to be always right on these relationships. It's not like we're going to grow into a place where we have perfect friendship. But we should get some fundamentals about the Christian faith right. One of the things the church has generally done well is, is transfer uh, beliefs about God and about the church and about sin and salvation and heaven and hell and all those things. We tend to communicate beliefs well. We don't always communicate relationships well. We also don't always love people well. If you grew up in a, in a religious system that was very focused on doing the right things, you will sacrifice relationship in order to make sure people agree with you on beliefs. And this happens a lot of times in a lot of places, and I have been guilty of it just as well as most everyone here. We typically talk about these types of things with two big churchy words we call orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is all about believing the right things. We get those beliefs not only handed down you know, for thousands of years, but we get it from Scripture itself, the things that are true, the things we should believe, the things that have been shared with us about who God is and what it means to follow Christ. Orthopraxy is not simply about the beliefs, although it requires beliefs. Orthopraxy is about how we live this out in the world. One of the things I'm convinced about is that the way we do relationships is one of the best ways to demonstrate orthopraxy. Practically going out and living this out in the, in the spheres of, of people that we do life with. Whether that be our family, people we work with, our neighbors, people we do life with. There is a need for Christians to be Christians in the world. Now, what often happens is a person will make a choice between one or the other. I'm either going to be very focused on practical living, or I'm going to be very focused on believing the right things. And I will say it is incredibly important that these things work together because you can't have orthopraxy without orthodoxy. (laughs) But your orthodoxy doesn't matter if you're not practically demonstrating this in love as we have continually uh, called to do throughout Scripture. One of the problems when we start talking, and anybody starts talking in this way, and we start couching relationships in love language, is the fact that every one of us Uh, defines that differently. We define what it means to love in the way that we ourselves want to be loved. And so it's important that we come to Scripture and we find out, well, what do these relationships look like? Jesus said you will be known not only by your fruit, but you will be known by your love for one another. He never said you will be known by your belief statements. (laughs) He said you will be known by the way you love each other. Our beliefs should compel us to love. So as we enter into that, what Paul is saying here is imitate God. Imitate God in his love for others. In verse 32, going back to Ephesians 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you, who is our example for what these healthy relationships are supposed to be. Truthfully, God doesn't struggle with sin. And it messes up a whole lot of our relationships. And some of you may be in this room today recognizing some of your relationships are off kilter, we'll say, because of people not maybe not being at their best, 
Maybe even this past weekend you got together with family members that you don't normally get together with and like maybe you weren't at your best or maybe they weren't at their best or maybe you all just got together and had the best um, Thanksgiving together that you've ever had. I, maybe that was your experience. But I do know others that that was not what their experience was. So how do we do this and follow this um, command in verse uh, 1 of chapter 5, be imitators of God as beloved children? Well, Proverbs 17, 17, if we go through just a, I'm not, we're not going to spend time on all these, but Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. When you think about your friends, you probably have your closest friends. You probably have some, you know, not really close, but you would call them friends. If you were desperate and you called them, they'd probably be there for you. And then you probably have a bigger circle of just People you know, acquaintances, you wouldn't necessarily call them friends, but you know them. You wouldn't feel uncomfortable being in a room with them. You probably have a group of people that, like, they're not my friends. I, I, I do not count them as my friends. I don't want to be friends with them, and they don't want to be friends with me. You, you probably can put some faces in all of those categories, but for now, I just want you to think about those people that you would call your friends. What does it look like to be imitators of God with those friends. By the end of our time together, of course I'm going to lead you to the place where you're probably already expecting, well, we should go do that with others too. Being imitators of God, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times. Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, there are times that friendship looks like a wounding. It's those times that we stand in front and say, you're wrong. That's not good. You shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have done that. At times, it's a, when a friend comes by and says, I'm just watching from a distance and I see some pit hole, pitfalls um, where you're headed. I, I, I'd hate to see you go in that direction, which can be hurtful if our expectation of friendship is they simply support us in everything we do. Scripture is very clear that the person who supports you in everything you do, no matter what, is not actually your friend. So what does it look like to continue to move into friendship? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Our relationships matter. Not just how we're demonstrating Christ, but their effect on our lives. Our closest friends matter. The people that we're investing in and they're investing in us, they matter. The people whose counsel we listen to, it matters. Friendship is not simply, you know, we enjoy doing the same things together. Friendship is about something intentional and a pursuit of Christ and a way of living a life of a Christian. John 15 Starting with verse 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and your fruit should abide. So that whatever asks the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. 
whole idea of loving one another is a crucial concept throughout the Bible, Old and New Testaments. And in John 15, 13, it says, greater love has no one than they lay their life down for their friends. If we look through our list, scrolling list of friends going through our heads right now, if we wonder, I wonder which ones would lay their life down for me. I don't know. If I'm honest, the people that I love the most in the moment came and, and I had to lay my life down for them, I think I would. But I've never been asked to do that. So I don't know what would happen in those moments. See, friendship is, is deep, purposeful. Friendship not only makes life better, friendship helps you get somewhere. Friendship is a block and a guard to protect you about going into places that are going to be harmful. And friendship is about encouraging you into places that are healthy. All those words are also up for debate on what they actually mean to each person who's trying to understand them, which is why, as we go to Scripture, we spend our lifetimes figuring this stuff out. What does it really look like to love the way God did? We can absolutely see that Jesus gave His life on the cross for us, and we're supposed to do the same And perhaps we're not going to be asked to undergo some kind of of capital execution. Maybe we need to stand up to a friend and say they need to stop. And that feels like a dagger in the heart. What does it look like to do this with your friends? We think about how this lives out in the world. I... I've got a number of friends here. Like, I count you all as my friends. I have friends who are believers who do not attend Journey. I have friends that are not believers. And I have friends that I talk to regularly, and I have friends that I talk to every now and again. My relationship with my different friends, based on their proximity to me, and their own desire to see me grow as a believer changes kind of the place they fit in my life. When I think about friendship in the world and, and um, some, of my, um, some of my friends who are not believers, but not all, some of your friends who are believers, but maybe not all, in the world, friendship is an inward focus. What do you have to offer me? What do you add to my life? In the world, our focus is, do I enjoy spending time with you? Do you tell me nice things about myself? Do you help me on the things that I want help on? I mean, do I feel good when I'm around you? Typically in the world, when we think about friendships, we think about what do you have to offer me? It's a very inward focus. Friendship is about what you're offering me, and if something breaks that, I'm done with you. Our friendship is over. In the Bible, as we go through and we read consistently about what it means to love others and to have relationships, we find that there's an outward focus and friendship is understood more so, what can I offer you? This is one of the reasons I believe that Christianity has been rejected by so many. But yet when we confuse these two ways of loving others, then sometimes in our desire to feel better in the world or to make other people in the world think we're, you know, 
more like them, we have a tendency to fall into some of these other ways of loving. And whenever we enter into a relationship with the expectation of what do you have to offer me, which will happen, but when you spend your life building friendships that way, you're going to find that they implode. You're going to find that they don't last. As long as you're fun, they're there, and when you're no longer fun, they're not. And that does not seem like real friendship. My hope is that every one of us in this room has friends that no matter what we do or what we say or on our worst moments, they're still with us after we've been at our worst. But I think probably all of us in the room can also say that we've had friends that when we've not been at our best, they've decided we're no longer friends. And that's incredibly hurtful. What does it look like to be a friend. I want to remind you that our definition of love is not about a feeling, even though in modern Western culture in general, we say, I'm in love. We say, we are thinking about how we feel. How do you make me feel? But that's not the way the Bible talks about love. The Bible talks about love in the sense of, I am committing to act for the well-being of another. So if I'm going to be your friend, I am committing to be someone who is working for the better of you. Now, if you happen to be in a lot of worldly friendships where you feel like what's required is what you offer them, they'll be your friend as long as you're giving them the thing that they want, affirmation, attention, just being there, whatever. You can take this biblical idea of love where we're offering something away and say, yeah, but... I have those people in my life. Like I'm constantly offering to them and they're constantly taking and I just don't I just don't have anything to offer. I just don't see that as a healthy way to love others. And I would just say if you're in a relationship where you're constantly offering and they're constantly taking but not offering back to you, I would agree. That is not a healthy relationship. But that is not the relationship we're called to as Christians. The life we're called to as Christians whether we're talking about marriage or Christ in the church or friends. It's a relationship where we're working towards the betterment of someone else in a community of other people who are doing the same thing. And what's interesting that the church grew under such great persecution in part not because of their political power, not because of their ability to fight back, but simply because they did life differently And many people wanted that same thing. And so the ranks of the Christians grew in the Roman Empire even when they were being tortured and killed. Because they had something in their life that no one else had. Yes, it was Jesus. Yes, it was the Holy Spirit. But Jesus always said, part of the way we're going to redeem the world is the way that you live in it and you demonstrate a different way of living life. That's why they called Christianity, not Christianity, but the way. There was a way of living life. You might call it the Jesus way, but honestly, it goes all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis 1. This was always the point. In relationship with each other, in a way that we constantly care for each other. We meet each other's needs. We're there for each other. This is a glimpse of biblical friendship. Whenever we begin to 
use love in the sense of I'm giving you what you want or I'm just just about a feeling. Those relationships are not going to last. But when you enter into a relationship with someone who's committed for your best and you're committed for their best, that will be a lifelong friend. And that will be someone you will not want to do life without. Now, can you imagine a community of people in which this is what we spend our time working on? How do we love each other better? How do we care for the well-being better? How, how do I make sure that your well-being is taken care of? Sometimes it will, it will mean a meal. Sometimes it will mean uh, they just need help with some bills. Sometimes it just means I'm just here to love you. I'm just here to encourage you. Sometimes it's going to mean you know, getting right in front and saying, you need to stop. Like This thing you're doing is unhealthy. Whenever we're in this worldly way of relationships where the friendship is based on what you have to offer, you can bet a, a conversation about accountability will end that relationship. But when the relationship is built on caring for the well-being of each other, accountability can be welcomed, even if it's uncomfortable. Some of my friends that I go to when I just need wise counsel, and I need them not to tell me what I want to hear. I need them to tell me what I need to hear. I go to those friends, and not only do they have permission, but I have some friends who don't hold back. Do you all have any of those friends? They don't hold back. They're some of my best friends. Now, I wouldn't have that relationship with them if my relationship was simply built on me going and them giving me just raw accountability wouldn't i wouldn't keep going to them i've had people in my life want to offer me accountability but typically we're not open to that offer of accountability if we haven't yet seen that what they want is my best so we have to offer that before we're offering accountability friendship in the bible is different this idea of being the light of the world This means that we are truly different. It means the way we engage with people are different. There are times that you will have friends with people and your Christian friends will say you shouldn't be friends with them. That is part of being light of the world. There are also times that you will be friends with people who are not on the same pursuit of following Christ as you and they are not leading you to healthy places. And you probably need to separate from some of those friends. The reality is is friendship is a beautiful gift that God has given us, but it really comes down to how are we living it out. So how do you make a friend? I'm going to propose, if you are interested in making a friend, that it all lies in being a friend. I very few times in my life have, have launched out and sought to be a friend to someone that it did not return in mutual friendship. I'm not saying this never happened. I'll just say very few times have I sought to be a friend that someone said, you know what, don't try to be my friend. I mean, there are some people, (laughs) but it is very rare that that would happen. How do you make a friend? Be a friend. I remember years ago I uh, was listening uh, to a seminar by a guy by the name of Tim Sanders. He was at the time the... I think the CTO or CIO of Yahoo when Yahoo was big and 
he said this. He said, you will accomplish more in one year by investing in two people than you will trying to get two people to invest in you. I've never forgotten that. I, every now and then I would tweak that out and he would respond and I always put that as a feather in my cap. Ah, Tim Sanders responded, but you probably don't even know who he is anymore. But Let that sink in. You will accomplish more in one year by investing in two people than trying to get two people to invest in you. But most people spend their lives trying to get people to invest in them. And if you approach friendship by what you're getting, you will never be the kind of friend that Jesus is calling us to. It costs us something. At times, friendship is actually work. And and it feels like, well, friendship shouldn't be work. I mean, work should be work. I mean, friendship, and that ought to just work, be natural and feel good. I mean, that's why we have friends, right? Not according to Scripture. There are times that friendship is work. Over the years, that's been a hard lesson for me to learn as some of my friends have done the long-suffering task of being my friend when I really didn't want them to be my friend. I wanted them just to affirm me. And yet they stuck with me because they wanted something for me. Those are good friends. Those are the kinds of friends you want to have. We read about Jesus, if He is going to be our example, this is the kind of friend He was. As Sometimes we think about, well, I don't know that they deserve to be my friend. <laughs> I don't know if this is the kind of person that I should befriend. I don't know that I want to be their friend. And yet, this is what Jesus says about us in Romans 5. He says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God chose His love for us and that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. Even when we had nothing to offer, He chose to be our friend. What does it look like for us today? And I don't have, I don't have a bullet point list of what this looks like. I, I think this is part of, of living out, working out our salvation. This is part of sanctification, the process of growing in our faith. What would it look like for the church to love in this way? We've, for a long time, wanted our church to be focused on loving people that often aren't loved in other places. We find that to be not just our calling, but we find that to be the calling of the church in general. And one of the things that we do is we welcome people even when they're a mess. And let's just be honest. We're all a mess sometimes. Some of us might be a mess right now. And some of us aren't. Jesus went to the messy places. He's called us to the messy places. And when we understand friendship based on what I'm investing in someone else, what I'm offering to someone else, instead of simply what can I get from you, we can enter into some of those relationships. That doesn't mean we're going to invite them to the inner circle where we ask them what we should do with our life. But we can still choose to love them and be their friend. What would it look like to friend people into a relationship with Christ? What would that look like? 
inevitably a conversation comes up and and it's it's addressed in scripture so it's something we should talk about this all sounds good right all sounds good good sermon this is the way it ought to be but what about really toxic people and i just i i felt it was important to talk about this because you do life with toxic people before we enter into conversation about what it's like to deal with toxic people, we have to always remember you and I bring a level of toxicity with us into every relationship. Every one of us. I like to think I'm the perfect friend, but I'm not. I like to think I'm just fully healthy for everyone who's around me, and you're just blessed to be in my presence, but I am not. We all bring into every relationship a level of toxicity because just like we talked about last week, we all bring into every relationship some level of brokenness and we approach others through that brokenness. But there are times that relationships just become poisonous to us. Now, you could totally go into love mode and say doesn't matter doesn't matter how much they hurt me doesn't matter how much they wound me i just i'm going to stay and and i think that there is a level that we all do this for all people but there are times that the level of toxicity is so high that it is poisoning you your other relationships and your ability to do life it does not mean that the person who is toxic does not need a friend or to be loved and if we do look at people through the lens of Jesus. We look at them through the lens of the thing that broke them, not the result of them being broken. Toxicity is a result of them being broken. How do we do this? How do we, how do we deal with these toxic relationships? I, Paul gives some helpful advice in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy is a young pastor who's beginning to start churches and Paul's taking him under his wing is trying to help him to understand uh, this is what you're going to deal with if you're going to start these churches and you're going to pastor all these churches. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappealing. I mean, like Paul's like a hurt pastor, right? He's just rattling these things off. Heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I mean, it's like, Paul, you, you have something to say? I mean, you got to get something off your chest? Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. He says, avoid such people. I don't have a formula to go through to determine when you abandon a relationship or a friendship. But I will say there are times that you need to abandon a friendship. There are times it happens. It's hurtful, but there are times that we ourselves cannot maintain a healthy relationship with the level of toxicity that's coming with us. It does not mean that we need to return it, but it doesn't mean that we need to protect our own health at times. And what Paul is saying is, when you and if you will go through this list, you will find it is a world definition of friendship that he is pointing out. Abusive, selfish, 
looking after their own needs. And I will tell you that if you're going to love in the way that Jesus talks about us loving, it is going to cost you something. And there are times in which you respond to toxic relationships, it's going to cost you something. Toxicity is something that we learn to deal with. Sometimes we see in ourselves what we see in others. It is always something that Scripture would call us to give grace and to forgive, but not necessarily to stay. If I were going to give a definition of a toxic person, I would give the definition simply of the world's definition of friendship versus our own. Someone who's there simply for what you have to offer versus someone who is there wanting to offer you something in return. Now, that's probably not a good enough definition of toxic. Some of the tools of the toxic person are manipulation, triangulation, gaslighting. There are times that you're, you're going to fail the test of friendship, whatever test of friendship they have, and they're going to talk about you, and they're going to say bad things about you, and they're going to abandon you, and they're going to try to poison other people against you. And you can absolutely fight back. But that's not what Jesus did. The reality is is that when you enter into a relationship with a toxic person, you're going to take some hits. Many times you're going to do your best to love and to help and to care and to do what is best. And and it's going to be portrayed that you are just evil. Brokenness within us, there is no depth by which a person can be broken. And a person who just needs to be given to constantly is, is one of the most broken people that there are. And they will find any number of ways to try to get people to give to them while often not giving anything in return. There's no way to talk about all the ways that um, toxic relationships happen. Uh, there are all kinds of different ways that toxic relationships happen. I know from my own experience, there are times that uh, people are going to say things about you that are not true. And you can absolutely go and say, no, that's not true. What's really true is what they are doing. And you lose. When you enter into a toxic relationship, they generally cost you friends. Cost you direction, cost you purpose, cost you a pursuit of Christ as you're just reeling with anger and frustration and pain. There is a place for us to just separate and walk away and say, I'm not the person to be your friend right now. Maybe there will be another time that we'll come back and we'll be friends. Or maybe there will be someone else that will enter into their life. There is a place that you have to you have to protect your own health and we never protect our own health by fighting back we forgive we give grace we move on but it is always painful the person that triangulates is going to talk about someone else about you that's why i always say when someone comes and they say yeah someone was telling me about someone else well here's the thing you can know when someone wants to talk to you about someone else, eventually they're going to be talking to, about you to someone else. Scripture's full of all kinds of admonitions to what it means to be a good friend. Don't be divisive. Don't 
Don't gossip. Don't be deceitful. When we look at some of the strongest friendships in Scripture, friendships like David and Jonathan, what we find is that David and Jonathan regularly are risking their life for each other. They're there for each other. They're risking their life for each other. When we look at the relationship that Jesus has with us and he calls us his friends, we look at, at, at a Jesus who we in no way could offer him the kind of friendship he was offering us, and yet he chose to offer us that friendship anyways. But he called us to a higher standard of loving others. He said there will be people in the church and they won't get it. They're just not going to get any of this. He called that the wheat and the chaff. They're going to look like you. They're going to talk like you. They're going to believe the right things like you. But they're just not going to live it out. They're not going to get it. They're not going to understand it. It's not going to be the burning desire of their heart to live this out. I'll deal with it later is what Jesus says. I'll deal with it later. You just love each other. I wonder what it would look like if we this Christmas just decided Whoever's in this room, just going to choose to love them. I may get nothing in return, but I'm just going to choose to love them. What would happen if we go to our family gatherings, even the contentious ones, and we say, you know what, I'm just going to love them. I'm just going to love them. Like I may not get anything in return, but I'm just going to love them. It's amazing what will happen when we simply follow the example of Jesus. I would encourage you, if you're in one of those toxic relationships, to find some counsel for someone that you trust. There are times we get so into a friendship or we've been in it for so long or it's become so toxic that we ourselves can't find our way out. And I would encourage you to find a a third-party friend that can speak into your life from a different perspective and say, this is what I'm seeing. I don't think this is healthy. And if you don't have those friends in your life, how do you make a friend? Be a friend. Relationship grows. You get to know each other. You spend time with each other. A relationship with a friend who's always looking after your well-being is the kind of friend you will never want to let go of. It will grow. You will come to the place of being able to have accountability conversations. And they will be able to speak into your life in times where you're not sure what the right choice or the healthy option is. I'm going to wrap up Remembering that friendship is part of God's redemptive plan for the world. Matthew 5, verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory your Father who is in heaven. It is my desire that our path forward as a church is one in which beyond anything else we do, we love others well. So I've given kind of the same uh, action step after every sermon of this series, and let me give it again today, and that is just like Physicians practice medicine. We practice this. There are times that I don't get it right. I don't do it well. And sometimes I have to come and ask forgiveness. And sometimes my friends don't do it well, and I have to forgive them. But that is part of practicing. 
There are times we enter into a relationship and we think it's healthy and we think it's good, and then over time we realize, well, maybe it's not healthy and maybe it's not good. Well, let's practice it. Let's practice and get better. This is what I think Jesus wants us to commit our lives to. Not to avoid making sure we believe the right things, but believing the right things don't matter if they don't actually change us. And if they're going to change Scripture is very clear, it is going to increase your capacity to love others. That's what's going to happen. Let that be the pursuit of our lives, our hearts, our church, our friendships. If you want to make a friend, so many of my friendships started with them showing me this principle. They chose to be my friend. Pastors are not the easiest people to be friends with, by the way. I recognize that. Most of my pastor friends are not real easy to be friends with. I think I'm better at it than they are. I think they would probably disagree. Recognize pastors are not always great at this. There's times that none of us are good at. Let's practice it together. This Christmas season, as we think about the light of the world, and over the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about how that plays out in our lives, in the world, in our relationship with Christ, and in the church. Let's be the kind of friend to others that Jesus was to us. Let's practice it. Let's get better at it. Pray with me. Father, it is impossible for me to ask everyone in this room to never be toxic. It's going to happen. We're going to be selfish. It's going to be about my needs, what I want at some point. And we're all going to be in our relationships with people where if we're not willing to give them what they want, the relationship's going to end and it's going to hurt. But I pray that you would guard our hearts from being that kind of friend. Father, I pray that in this room you would do a transformational work so that we can count on each other and we can know that we are working for the well-being of each other. Father, I pray that you would help us to see not just the out behavior, but what's going on inside a person good and the bad. I pray we would have your lens of seeing the brokenness in people and recognize this is not simply a character flaw. Something broke along the way and we might just be someone that can help restore what was broken. Father, I pray for the person in the room that they're struggling to have healthy friendships. And even the admonition to be a friend just feels overwhelming and impossible and perhaps like they don't have anything to offer. But yet, you are their friend. You've empowered us through your Holy Spirit. You've called us to this incredible way of life, of loving each other. I pray that you would strengthen and empower us. I pray for those in this room right now, they are in toxic relationships, and they just don't know what to do or where to go. Father, 
you can do absolutely anything and you can heal any wound and you can heal any relationship. But I recognize that some people don't want to be healed and they don't want to change. So Father, I pray for wisdom to know when it's time to separate. To say, it's not my time to be your friend right now. But there would be others that would come along and just work a transformational miracle in, in that life. Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to look in the mirror and see ourselves clearly. And the times that we're being a good friend, that we would know, I, this is what you're calling me to. And probably more importantly, in the time that I am myself being selfish and toxic, and it's all about my needs and what I want, help us to see that. Because I think that's even harder. Father, give us the strength to give grace where it is due. We thank you for the grace you've given us when we've needed it. Father, help us to be good friends. Help us to be the light of the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.